If you missed the introduction, my name's Mike. I'm the pastor here at Christ Church. Good to have you all here. We are in our third and final week of a, of a, a short series in the book of Habakkuk. Or Habakkuk, you can say it however you want. I don't think it really matters. Um, there's three chapters, and we've bitten off a bit more than we can chew, perhaps. We've taken about a chapter at a time, and now we are in the third chapter of Habakkuk. We're going to read all of it uh, in a moment. Uh, but let me just give you a, a little recap of what Habakkuk's all about, where we've been in our series. Again, this is a pretty small prophetic book, um, but it asks some very deep questions. It asks the hard questions of God and his ways, questions uh, and doubts are brought up in these pages which feel fresh. They're the exact same questions and doubts that modern people have, just as people have had in years gone by. Uh, throughout the pages of Habakkuk, Habakkuk wonders out loud in prayers and confrontations and questions to God, God, if you're perfectly good, if you're perfectly powerful, if you're perfectly just, which he is, why is there so much evil in this world? Why is so much backwards? Why do your people suffer so much? Why do people suffer so much? Why don't you just right every wrong right now? And Habakkuk, what he's been teaching us through the last couple of chapters, I hope you picked this up, that the opposite of faith isn't doubt. The opposite of faith is pride and unbelief, clinging to what we believe to be right and true and good beyond what God says. It's a cynical, resentful distrust of God and what God clearly says in his word. Habakkuk, though, he asks questions. He has doubts. Uh, but he has something that we've termed faithful doubt. He brings all of his doubts, all of his questions directly to God with trust and faith. He says, God, you're good. God, you're trustworthy. So is your word. You're powerful to save. So what gives? Where are you? Why don't you act? Why are you so slow to do what's right? And in chapter 3 of Habakkuk, we end this book uh, with Habakkuk uh, singing a prayer song. If you look at uh, what happens at the very beginning of chapter 3, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to the Shigiyoth. Um, I don't know what that means. No, no scholars tend to seem to know what it means other than it might be a musical term. Maybe it's a, a, an instrument or a liturgical pattern. The very end of the chapter, you can see at the end of verse 19, this is to the choir master with stringed instruments. And so this is all written uh, not as prose, but as verse. This is, this is a highly poetic song, a prayer that Habakkuk offers to God now. And in this, in this song, Habakkuk remembers who God is, what he's done for his people in the past. Uh, and, and by doing this, Habakkuk is strengthened in the present while he waits God to do what he says he will do in the future. So again, let me turn your attention to chapter 3 of Habakkuk. I'm going to read God's word to us. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to the Shiginioth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. Selah. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. 
I saw the tents of Cushion in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountain saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hand on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place. At the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Selah. You pierced with his his own arrows the heads of his warriors. You came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments. Let's pray again. Father, thank you for your word. You're you're not silent. Your voice is not quieted. And yet we struggle to hear what you're speaking to us. So open our ears now, we ask. Give us faith to believe and to trust with our whole heart every word that you're speaking to us now. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know if you're familiar with um, uh, the, uh, the meme that's known as the This is Fine Dog. I don't know if, if you know what that is. It's, it's usually, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's, it's usually used to describe um, how someone's doing, how they're dealing with a uniquely stressful situation in their life. Some, some people worry, some people panic. Some people are the, this is fine dog. Uh, the meme, let me just describe it to you, it's, a, it's an image of an anthropomorphic dog. He's wearing like this little brown bowler cap. Uh, he's sitting at a chair, at a table. He's got a coffee mug in front of him. Um, it looks like he's in a living room of some sort. He looks cheerful enough. He's got this kind of like glassy, dopey-eyed look and a slight smile on his face. But there's a problem, and it's this. It's that the entire room is completely engulfed in flames. Like in, in front of him, behind him, Uh, In the foreground, in the background, there's just flames burning up everything. There's thick black smoke above his head. Uh, He's totally surrounded. Things don't look good for him. And usually this is a two-panel meme. So in the first meme, uh, it shows the whole fiery scene. It's pulled back. It shows the dog sitting in the middle of the fire. And the second is a close-up where the dog, he's still smiling. He says the immortal words, this is fine. This is fine. 
Now, I bring up this meme uh, because in the book of Habakkuk, we hear about a coming fire. Through chapters 1 and 2, we hear that the nation of Babylon, this ruthless, wicked, powerful nation, is coming to Judah's doorstep and is going to wreak total and complete havoc. This is the worst case scenario for Judah. Judah at this time, historically, uh, about mid-7th century BC, was weak, uh, it was incredibly vulnerable politically, militarily, and Babylon was just the exact opposite. Well-resourced, organized, powerful, unstoppable, and ruthless. You look at verse 17 of the text that we just read, and you can see um, what's going to happen. What is coming down the road? Total uh, economic and social devastation for Judah. There's going to be famine. There's going to be ruin. There's going to be destruction. Verse 17 describes a, lack of, a total lack of harvest. There's no fruit on the vines, no food gathered in. There's no animals left in the stalls. Judah's about to enter into a time, not just of like mild disappointment, the kind of disappointments you and I might face. Oh, you know, we can't afford Disneyland this year. Uh, you know, vacation's not going to be great. Judah's about to enter into a time that feels like the end of absolutely everything, right? How are we going to eat? What are we going to do? How will we survive? The house is burning down around us. And this is how Habakkuk responds. He looks down the barrel of the Babylonian invasion, which God is promising will come, and with, heart, with a heart that is full of faith. He says the words of verses 18 through 19. Look at it, me with, uh, look at it with me. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. See, he's singing this song in the face of devastation. Despite my circumstance, Habakkuk says, I will have joy in the Lord. God's my hope. God's my song. Even in the worst of times, I know that God is with me, that he is for me, that he will establish my feet even here in this rugged terrain so that I can, I can walk through it like a deer on the mountain. Now, cynics hear this song of Habakkuk in verses 18 through 19, and it sounds like the ancient Hebrew version of the This is Fine Dog, right? Habakkuk's just plugging his ears, he's smiling some sort of a dopey smile, and he's encouraging us, people in the church, to do the same with him while the house burns around them. Cynics who don't know God, who don't trust in God, they hear his hopeful song and, he, and, and they think that he's using religion like an opium, just to dull his senses, to make going through life, which is difficult, a little bit easier just to forget his pain. They say Habakkuk's sitting in a burning building, and foolishly and sadly and wrongly he's saying, this is fine. But that's not what's happening. I want you to see this. This is not what's happening here. God's telling us through Habakkuk in this closing chapter of his book, what he emphasized to us in chapter 2, verse 4, which is the center of this whole book. The righteous shall live by faith. That's the key to the whole book and understanding everything that Habakkuk's saying. That is, we will only experience true life, robust, deep life that God's made us for as we trust him, as we trust his word, as we trust who he is more than what our eyes can see. The world can only see the living room on fire. And that's it. They see Babylon's brutality. They see Judah's destruction. And that's it. That's actually the whole story. But the eyes of faith see that God's with us, that God is for us, even in the fire. 
If you look at verse 18, again, faith sees that in any circumstance, in any circumstance, we can rejoice, we can be glad in the Lord because he's our strength. Don't you want faith like that? Don't you want a faith that's hearty and strong, that can stand up in the face of any storm, any fire that comes your way? All of the suffering that the world brings to you, you can rejoice in the Lord because he's your strength. Christians don't deny pain. Habakkuk doesn't deny the pain that's coming, but faith gives us new insight into it. Suffering's certainly ahead, friends, so you better get ready. You can't avoid it. You can't insulate yourself from it with wealth. Hopefully, it's not going to be, you know, Babylonian-level suffering, but suffering is promised to you nonetheless. We live in a broken, fallen world, and are you ready? Is your faith prepared for this kind of suffering? This is what Habakkuk is saying to you this morning. This is what our, our God is speaking to you. Uh, and this is the sermon in a nutshell. In any circumstance, we can rejoice in the Lord, for he's our strength. This kind of faith is not just possible. It's what Christian maturity looks like. This is what God is, is growing you towards. It's what God wants to build in you. This is the faith that he wants you to have. He's growing a people who can in any circumstance, and in particular in difficult, painful, gut-wrenching life and death situations not panic not be dulled not just say this is fine but can rejoice in the lord because he's our strength how do we do that how is that possible it sounds pious it sounds very religious how can this actually be done well this is how the theologian james bruckner he reminds us that remembering the past gives an anchor for the present as the faithful wait for the future. Let me say that again. Remembering the past gives an anchor for the present as the faithful wait for the future. This is what's happening in Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk's remembering what God has done in the past, and he holds on to that as a source of confidence in the storms he's facing in the present as he waits in faith for the future where God will finish his good work. And so that's actually how we'll, we'll set up the sermon this morning. We're going to look at how remembering God's person and work in the past helps us, strengthens us in the present, in our present difficulties, as we wait for the future. This is how, in any circumstance, God's people can rejoice in the Lord, our strength. So this is point one. We're going to try to build a sentence together, okay? This is, this is point one. Remember what God has done. Remember what God has done. You see that in the first part of, of verse 2 of chapter 3. In the first part, Habakkuk is beginning this prayer song, and he's recalling in his mind what God has done in the past. O oh Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O oh Lord, do I fear. The NIV translation has this as, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. What Habakkuk's doing is he's, just, he's remembering all that God has done. And that's what's happening in chapter 3 between verses 3 through 15. He's remembering how in the past, when God's people were in, in impossible, deadly, destructive uh, circumstances, God himself came to their rescue. Uh, in particular, he's remembering how God rescued his people from slavery in the land of Egypt long, long ago and, and brought them along a long road to the promised land. And that, that story of, uh, of the exodus from Egypt is really key. It's a paradigmatic example of, of God working salvation for, for his people. If you look at verse 3, you see references to Teman and Mount Paran. 
Can you point those out on a map for me? I'm just kidding. You don't need to do that. Okay. Verse 7 mentions, if you look at it, it mentions, it mentions the tents of Cushan, the land of Midian. Now, probably these references don't mean a lot to you. They just kind of passed over you like water. But for Habakkuk's first listeners, this meant a lot. These were towns and peoples that they would have recognized as being between the land of Egypt, where they were rescued, and the land of Israel, the promised land. These were well-known towns and villages and regions that God's people had to walk through after God rescued them, but before they landed in the promised land. So in Nova Scotia terms, maybe some of you are from Truro, I know, I know at least one person is, God has rescued us from slavery in Truro, and he is walking us to the promised land of Halifax. And so these verses, if it was written in contemporary language, would mention the people in tents of Stuyak, of Shubenacne, of Enfield. These would be towns and peoples that we would recognize as being on the road to Halifax. In, in verse 7, Habakkuk says, I saw the tents of Cushion in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Why are these people, why are these places trembling? Well, Habakkuk remembers how the nations uh, around them reacted to the news that God had just res rescued his people from Egypt. If you know the story from Exodus, you know that God sent ten plagues, ten powerful uh, miracles uh, of judgment on Egypt uh, to release Israel from, from slavery. He guided his people through the desert. He, he split the Red Sea open to create a path for his people to, to walk through. Uh, and then he closed it again so that Pharaoh and his army were drowned as they tried to pursue them. And the people of Cushan and Midian, when they heard this story and they saw the dust cloud on the horizon of this people marching towards them, they were shaking in their boots. Like, this is the people that God Almighty favors. God is on the side of these people who are coming into our neighborhood. What might God do to us if we oppose them? Now, why was God fighting Egypt in the first place? There's a lot of militant language, of course, in chapter 3. Is it because he's mean, because he's violent? It's not the case. He, he, he acts this way to save his people. This is how he acts on behalf of his people. He loves them. He wants them to be free. He protects them, and so he fights for them. Uh, look at verses 12 through 13. This is describing God fighting for his people like a warrior. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out, why? For the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. How can we rejoice in the Lord? This is, this is our question. How can he be our strength in any circumstance? It starts here, remembering what he has done. Remembering who he is for his people. He's their defender and their helper. He is with them. He is for them. He will fight for them. No obstacle, no matter how strong, can get between God and his people. No nation. Not Egypt. Not Cushion. Not Midian. Eventually not Babylon. There's no nation that can, that can stop God's hand. There's also nothing in nature that can get in his way. Uh, Brittany and I had the pleasure of being in Banff for a day, and we were standing at, at, at the foot of the mountains, at the summit, saw some pretty incredible things. And verse 10, if you look at it, says what? The mountains writhed at God's presence. They fled away. God's so powerful that what seems seemingly immovable cannot keep a foothold when God approaches them. When you trust in this God, you become his people. 
his dearly loved children. That's what uh, John promises in chapter 1 of his book. He reminds us that all who receive him, who believed in Christ's name, he gave the right to become children of God. So when we suffer, we remember that we are God's children, that he is for us. When we look to the cross of Christ, we remember the cross and suffering of Jesus to forgive us, to give us new life. When we do that, our own sufferings are transformed. We, we believe in our hearts that there's no length that God won't go to rescue us. He loves us. He is for us. He has proved this time and again. And so this is the, the important connection in our, in our sentence. This is the part two of the sentence we're working on. We are to remember what God has done because that strengthens our faith today. Remembering what God has done strengthens our faith today. How can we rejoice in any circumstance? Again, by remembering what God has done, our, strength is, 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 our faith is strengthened today. If you look at uh, verse 2 of Habakkuk again, of, of chapter 3, um, he makes this link between the past and the present. Uh, o Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. I'm in awe of what you've done. You know, how you rescued your people in Egypt, how you sent your son for us and for our salvation. In the midst of years, revive it. In the midst of years, make it known. The, the New International Version translates this as, God, repeat those works in our day. In our time, make them known. Do what you've done. God, do now what you did then. Be with us now as you were with us then. And this is, this is important to remember from the story of Exodus. How was it that God was with his people after he rescued them from Egypt? Where did God go with them? If you, if you remember the story, uh, after God rescued Israel, he was with his people, but he was with them on this very long, difficult road to the promised land. Th this is how he was with his people. If you know the story through Exodus, through Joshua, even after God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, their problems weren't over. Uh, there were still enemies, there were still difficulties, but God was with them. If we move to the New Testament, we know that even after Christ died for his people, uh, resurrected, was ascended to the right hand of, of God the Father to rescue us from sin and from death, his church still faced vicious opposition, persecution, trouble, but God was with them. And that's what we still face today. Uh, in John Bunyan's very famous book, The Pilgrim's Progress, he would call this the long, hard pilgrimage to the celestial city. See, God's people still face difficulty today. But because God is with them, this suffering is transformed. God calls his people to faith, to remember, to trust that just as he's taken care of them in the past, so he'll be with them in the present. Uh, Judah, in Habakkuk's time, as I've said a couple times, was ready to face the Babylonian invasion. And this was no light thing. This was, this was a, an unbelievably sober thing. Look at how this makes Habakkuk feel. Look at verse 16. Listen to the, the poetic language he uses. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Things are about to get really, really, really rough for Judah. And yet, in verse 19, Habakkuk says, God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Habakkuk's picture of what a strong strength and faith in the present is, is not actually a trouble-free faith, a faith that has no opposition to it. 
But like a deer that's navigating the rough and rocky mountain range, it's a faith that can navigate through life's troubles and difficulties. See, these deer, uh, not that I saw any when I was in Calgary, but um, they've learned to negotiate their current difficulties, the, the, the roughness of the terrain, because of all that they've experienced. Uh, they haven't had an easy life on the mountains. They've had a really hard one, and that's made them more rugged. It's made them stable. And this is what God's doing with us in our difficulties. He wants to strengthen our faith so we can face difficult times. And he does that using difficult times. God strengthens us not by removing our difficulties, but by helping our feet become sturdy and stable and steadfast in the midst of difficulties. This is exactly how God has led Israel on the long road to the promised land. This is how he has led his church after the cross. And this is how he'll lead you today. He wants you to be strengthened. Remembering what God's done strengthens our faith today. Uh, One commentary on Habakkuk describes this kind of faith as gritty faith. It's gritty faith. God wants to develop a a gritty faith in you. You could also call this uh, mountain deer faith. It's not very catchy. It probably won't stick. So you could also call it uh, four-by-four faith or off-road faith. This is what God wants for us. It's faith that's built not for pastel-colored, white picket fence, life's always great life. It's faith that can look Babylon in the face and sing. This is not a this-is-fine faith. Also, this is not just like a dry, logical, stoic, Spartan, tough-it-out, muscle-it-out, grit-your-teeth, Viking warrior strength either. This is the strength of children of God, sometimes trembling, saying with Paul in Romans 8, if God is for me, who can be against me? If God did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give me all things? If you're suffering right now, remember who God is and what he's done. Look to Christ. Look at how deeply God loves you. Remember Christ's wounds for your sins, for your salvation, and be strengthened in your faith today through this remembering. Habakkuk sings about this. So do we. We sang that throughout all my ways. Um, no trial has come beyond your hand, no step I walk beyond your plan. The path is dark outside my view, still all my ways are known to you. We sing it in songs like How Firm a Foundation. Fear not, I am with thee, O be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my righteous omnipotent hand. How can we, as God's people, be strengthened in the Lord in any circumstance, and rejoice. Remembering what God has done strengthens our faith today, and this is our our last point, the last part of our sentence, and lets us celebrate what God will do. Remembering what God has done strengthens our faith today and lets us celebrate what God will do. I heard a pastor say that there are two kinds of blessings that God gives to his children, two kinds of blessings. Blessings that we rejoice over immediately, and ones we give thanks for later. The blessings that we give thanks for now, they're really sweet. The things that we enjoy. Um, Friends and family, good work, uh, a home, good food, good health. The scriptures assure us these are not random occurrences, that God himself is the giver of every good gift. 
But God also has another sort of blessing that he gives to his children. These are ones that we will only rejoice over later. And they're not so sweet. They're pains, they're difficulties, they're distress, they're trouble. Now, Romans 8 makes this clear, right? These are, these are blessings in a particular sense. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, all things, even the ugliest, hardest things, God will use for your good. But these are not things that you and I like to ask for. They are not things that we want to receive because they are the fig tree that won't blossom. It's the fruitless vine. It's the failed fields. It's the empty stalls. It's a broken childhood. It's broken relationships. It's broken health. They're the things that make you just as they made Habakkuk throughout his entire book, ask with faithful doubt, God, where are you? What are you doing? God, how long will you let this happen? God, how long will you be slow to act and help me? And again, in the eyes of cynics and those who do not trust God, they only see the misery. They only see the room on fire. They mock anyone who sees anything other than destruction and misery. But the righteous shall live by faith. They remember what God has done. Their faith is strengthened today, and that lets them celebrate what God will do. See, despite the fire, Habakkuk says, yet I will rejoice. I will take joy, not in my circumstances, but in the God of my salvation. Babylon's on the horizon as we close Habakkuk. Another couple of decades, they will come they will burn Jerusalem to the ground. They will torch the temple of God. But Habakkuk ends his book on a note of faith with a song. He knows that even in this, he can, and perhaps with tears, celebrate what God will one day do. Let's finish with this. Friends, this takes immense faith to believe, to trust in. It's easy for me to say. It's harder for me to do. When you're suffering, this feels like an impossible task to trust in. To rejoice in the most difficult circumstances feels impossible. When our eyes can't see how God could possibly use human evil to bring about our good, our faith is weak. But listen, God has already done this. He's already taken the most unjust, the most wicked thing imaginable, the, the worst work of human efforts, and shown us, he's proven to us, the good that he's able to work from it. This is the cross of Christ that I'm referring to. The killing of the Holy Son of God at the hands of wicked men. This is something that we're able to remember. Something that strengthens us today. Something oddly that we sing about and celebrate and rejoice in together every week. Because it's only through the cross of Christ and only through this person that God is rescuing the world He's giving light to those in darkness, life to those who are dead in sin, and it's through the most wicked, miserable act that has ever been committed. And in that, even in this, we rejoice. Again, this is hard to believe, easy to say, harder to live by. But this is the word of Habakkuk. This is the word of the Lord to you. The righteous shall live by faith. Now may your sufferings, may all of your sufferings be transformed by faith. May you remember all that God is and all that God has done for you. 
and for his people because of his great love and mercy for you. May your feet be strengthened like the deer so that whatever hard times you're in or about to come to, you can navigate those hard times with God your strength. May you be able to rejoice in suffering, to trust God is with you and for you, and to sing. And may you live not by sight, but by faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to your people today. We ask that you would strengthen us, that you would give us exactly what we need. Lord, build our faith. We, we want this gritty faith that Habakkuk has. Help us now. Help our church to be a people who uh, are strengthened in the Lord in the face of suffering and have a deep faith, God. Send your spirit now. We ask all that in Christ's name. Amen.